السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد رسول الکریم امبات فعود بلّہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ربش رحلی صدری ویسرلی امری وحل العقدم السانی افقہ قولی ربنا زدنا علما کتاب الصلاۃ وی ور اسٹڈینگ باب المساجدی فی البیوت ماسکس ان سائڈ ہاؤزز میننگ از اٹ پرمسبل to dedicate a place for prayer within a house or is it necessary that a masjid is a place that is especially built for the purpose of salah and we learned that this is permissible based on the hadith of Uthman radhiyallahu anhu who was a companion of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam who lived far from the masjid and there was a masjid closer to his house where he would go and lead the people in prayer but because of his blindness as well as the difficulty caused by the weather conditions sometimes he was unable to go to the masjid and pray so he requested the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam if he could come to his house and perform salah over there so that he could take that place as a masjid so this shows that an area of the house can be dedicated for the purpose of salah you can call it a masjid but it doesn't become a masjid you know in the technical term meaning the rules of the masjid don't apply over there and the hadith continues Uthman radhiyallahu anhu he said qala wa habasnahu ala khaziratin he said that we kept him meaning the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam ala khaziratin to have khazira sanaanaha lahu that we had prepared for him because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was visiting him in his house he had come all the way with some of his companions and Uthman radhiyallahu anhu had prepared for him khazira khazira is basically a meat stew Okay, it's basically a stew that is made with shredded meat as well as some grain and it's cooked for a long period of time. So they had prepared this particular food for him. Did the Prophet ﷺ come there to eat? Was that the intention? No. We usually invite people over. Why? So that they can come and eat with us. But Uthban had requested the Prophet ﷺ to come over. Why? To perform salah. But... He also prepared food for him. So there is no harm in that. قَالَ فَثَابَ فِي الْبَيْتِ رِجَالٌ He said that رِجَالٌ meaning many men came into the house. When they saw that the Prophet ﷺ is there and there is food, so then a lot of people came in. The word ثَابَ basically means that they all came. ثَابَ is basically اجتماع بَعْدَ التَّفَرُّقِ That when people had dispersed and then they come back, they return, they gather together again. So, Many men, many people, they came into the house. And who were these men? Min ahlid dari, from the people of the house. Which house? The houses that were nearby. So basically, the people from his clan who lived nearby, when they heard the Prophet ﷺ was over, food was being served, they all came. How many were they? The wu adadin, many. Fajtama'u, so they all gathered. Faqala qailu minhum, so a speaker from them, meaning one of them, he said, أَيْنَ مَالِكُ بْنُ الدُّخَيْشِنَ Now imagine, everybody sitting down, they're eating, lots of people. One person says, where is Malik bin Dukhayshin? أو ابن الدُّخْشِن فَقَالَ بَعْضُهُمْ So some of them said, ذَلِكَ مُنَافِقُ That person is actually a hypocrite. لَا يُحِبُّ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ He doesn't love Allah and His Messenger. This is why this man is not here. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ So the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم, he said, لَا تَقُلْ ذَلِكَ Do not say that. أَلَا تَرَاهُ Do you not see him? قَدْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ He has said, there is no God worthy of worship but Allah. 
This man has said the kalima. Don't say about him that he is a munafiq. Yuridu bidalika wajh Allah. He wants by saying that the face of Allah, meaning he wants to make Allah happy by saying la ilaha illallah. Yes, he may have shortcomings, but that doesn't mean that he's a hypocrite. Qala, he said, meaning the person who said that this man is a munafiq, he said, Allahu wa rasuluhu a'lam. Allah and his messenger know better. Qala, he said, he continued, فَإِنَّا نَرَى وَجْهَهُ That we only see his face وَنَصِيحَتَهُ and his loyalty إِلَى الْمُنَافِقِينَ to the hypocrites. We see that his direction, his, his attention, his loyalties are with the hypocrites. This is why we think that he is a hypocrite. قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ The Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم replied, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ قَدْ حَرَّمَ عَلَى النَّارِ مَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ so indeed, Allah has forbidden on the hellfire the person who has said there is no God worthy of worship but Allah. Allah Who seeks by that the face meaning the pleasure of Allah. So any person who has said the kalima with sincerity, then this person is haram on the hellfire. He's not going to hellfire. Qala ibn Shihabin, Ibn Shihab said, ثُمَّ سَأَلْتُ الْحُسَيْنَ بْنُ مُحَمَّدٍ الْأَنصَارِ I asked this man, وَهُوَ أَحَدُ بَنِي سَالِمٍ He was a man from Banu Salim, وَهُوَ مِنْ سَرَاتِيمٍ And he was one of their best men. I asked him عن حديث محمود بن الربيع about the hadith of Mahmud bin Rabi, meaning this hadith, فَصَدَّقَهُ بِذَلِكَ So he also confirmed it. Meaning when he heard this narration, he confirmed with somebody else about this narration and he testified to its authenticity. So from this part of the hadith, what do we learn? That when a guest is coming over, then prepare something for them. Even though their main reason for coming over is not to eat, but still, it is best to serve them something. And we see that this is something that Ibrahim also did. That when the angels came, what did he do? He immediately went and brought Ijilin, Hanid, a roasted lamb, camel, what was it? Calf. Okay? Ijil. Ijil is calf. So that's what he brought for him. So you may have a guest who has come unexpectedly. And just because they have come unexpectedly, doesn't mean that you don't serve them anything at all. Serve them anything. Anything. You know, even if it's muffins that you baked two days ago, whatever it is that you have ready at that time, serve them something. Secondly, we see that the Prophet ﷺ, look at the way that he defended this man. Based on what? On his apparent. That that man has said, La ilaha illallah. It is also said that he was one of the participants at the battle of Badr. Allahu A'lam. I could not confirm this, but it is said. So he had said, La ilaha illallah, and the Prophet ﷺ defended him. Based on what? Husnul You may see that a person is weak in his action. A person has many shortcomings. And no human being is perfect. But still have husnul about others. Because our problem is that we see one mistake and we generalize. Right? We generalize. That just because we don't get along with somebody or just because they differ with us in some way or just because they are doing something different, we completely discard them. Or we start thinking extremely negatively about them. But give other people the benefit of the doubt. Recently I read, Mufti Mank, he said, a rumor divides people into four. Firstly, those who make it up. Secondly, those who peddle it. Thirdly, those who are silent. And fourth, those who reject it. So who are you? Are you someone who's making up that rumor? Are you someone who's peddling it forward? Passing it on? Making it more famous? Or are you someone who's just silent? Or are you someone who rejects it? 
The Prophet ﷺ, what did he do? He rejected it. In Surah An-Nur, what do we learn? What do we learn? That when the incident of ifk, when the false accusation against Aisha it was being spoken of everywhere. What ayat were revealed? That why did you not say that this is a buhtan, that this is a slander? Why did you not speak up against it? So when we see something untrue being spoken up publicly, then we have to, we have to stop that. Even though we don't have the time to confirm, or we don't have the means to confirm or refute, but still we cannot let people talk about others in such a negative way. Because manammalaka nammaraleika, the one who gossips for you will gossip about you. Today they are speaking against somebody else, and tomorrow they will speak against you. The Prophet ﷺ said, "Don't say that. You not see him? He has said La ilaha illallah." And what was the answer that was given? But we see that he is very loyal to the munafiqeen. He is with them. His attention is towards them. But the Prophet ﷺ, he repeated that he has said La ilaha illallah. That's enough for us to accept him as a Muslim. Bab at-tayammun fi dukhul al-masjid wa ghairihi. At-tayammun. What does it mean? Beginning with the right side. So, fi dukhul al-masjid. In entering the masjid, what does it mean by tayammun? That putting the right foot in first. As you're stepping inside the masjid, place your right foot in first. وَغَيْرِهِ And other than it, meaning other places besides the masjid. That if a person is going to another place which is of khayr, so for example, you're going to you know, an Islamic event, an Islamic institute, an Islamic school, it's not a masjid, but still it's a place of Khair. So when you enter such a place, you should enter with your right foot in first. Why? Because good things should begin with the right side. وَكَانَ ibn Umara And Ibn Umar عنه, He used to يَبْدَأُ He would begin بِرِجْلِهِ الْيُمْنَى With his right foot. فَإِذَا خَرَجَ And when he left the masjid بَدَأَ بِرِجْلِهِ الْيُسْرَى Then he began with his left foot, meaning he put his left foot out first. So when entering a room, a masjid, lift up the right foot first and enter with it. And when exiting, the left foot out first. But remember that this is mustahab, not fault. Which means that we should try to develop this habit and we should do this as much as possible. But if there's you know, a huge crowd of people behind you and there you are trying to figure out which one is my left foot and am I stepping out with my left foot and so many people are waiting behind you, then this would be causing them other. So remember that this is mustahab, not fart. You should try to develop this habit. But where it is not possible, then don't make it a cause of, you know, annoyance for other people. حدثنا سليمان بن حرب قال حدثنا شعبة عن الأشعث بن سليم عن أبيه عن مسروق عن عائشة قالت she said كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he used to يحب التيمنة he used to love تيمن he used to love to begin with the right. Mustata'a. As much as he was able to. Fi shatnihi kullihi. In all of his affairs. Fi tuhurihi. In his purification. Watarajulihi. And in his combing his hair. Watana'ulihi. And his putting his shoes on. Meaning it was a habit of the Prophet ﷺ that whatever he would be doing, he would try to use the right or he would try to begin with the right as much as possible. Notice the word, مستطاع. 
as much as he was able. And it's really about developing the habit. Because once you develop the habit, then you don't have to put in much effort. It comes naturally. I was reading about Sheikh bin Baz. Some of his students, they have compiled great stories, events from his life. And in that, they had mentioned about how he would strongly observe the sunnah of the Prophet Wasallam. And one of the incidents that one of his students had said was that Sheikh bin Baz was blind actually, he couldn't see, right? And one of his students would help him, you know, bring his shoes, help him with his belongings whenever he was out. So it was his routine that whenever he would be leaving the masjid, the student of his would bring him his shoes. And Sheikh bin Baz, he was talking to somebody and his student is passing on his shoes to him and he gave him the left one first. So he left it. He kept looking, you know, with his hand towards his right side, looking for the right shoe. Now the student is thinking he wants his shoe, so he's giving him the left shoe first. He passed him the left shoe again. He did not take it. He kept searching towards his right side, looking for the right shoe. This happened three times until the student realized that, oh, he wants his right shoe first. What do we do generally? As long as it's easy, right, we begin with the right. But as soon as it becomes difficult, or a little bit challenging, then we're like, it's okay. I mean, look at him. He's talking to somebody. There's a crowd of people over there. He cannot see. Somebody is passing him his shoes. He doesn't want to leave the sunnah, even at that point. So once you develop the habit, then you cannot leave the sunnah. It becomes part of your nature. So as we enter the masjid, as we enter the institute every morning, every time we come here, let's develop this habit, inshallah. Consciously enter with your right foot in and consciously exit with your left foot out first. Bab Hal Tumbashu should it be dug out? Tumbashu is to excavate. Meaning is it permissible to dig out? Is it permissible to excavate? Quburu the graves of Mushrikil Jahiliya, the idolaters from the time of Jahiliya. Meaning if their graves are in a certain place. And that place where you تَخَذُ مَكَانَهَا masajid, That that place has to be converted into a masjid. A masjid has to be built there. And there are graves from the time of the mushrikeen. So is it permissible to dig out those graves and take their remains out and bury them elsewhere? لِقَوْلِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم, Keeping in mind the statement of the Prophet لَعْنَ اللَّهُ الْيَهُودِ May Allah curse the Yahud. Ittakhadu, they took Qubura Ambiyaihim Masajid. Who took the graves of their prophets as mosques. They built Masajid where? Where there were graves. So they built Masajid because of the graves. On the site of the graves. That's where they built the Masajid. The Prophet ﷺ cursed them for that. So is it permissible for us to build a masjid where there is a grave? But what if that's the only suitable place. So then, can the graves be dug out? They're not graves of Muslims. They are graves of the people of Shirk from hundreds of years ago. Can their graves be dug out? Their remains buried elsewhere? Can this be done? Yes. The Prophet ﷺ cursed the Yahud. Why? Because they built the masjid on the graves. Why? Because of the graves. You're not building the masjid because of the grave. It's just that that site is more Suitable. So can you just dig out the graves and shift the remains elsewhere? If you build on top and people find out later there are graves over here, it might lead to shirk. 
So in this case, it is permissible to dig out the graves. Okay, it is permissible. Why? Because we see that the Prophet ﷺ also did that, as we will learn inshallah. وَمَا يُكْرَهُ مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ فِي الْقُبُورِ And remember that sometimes there is a need to transfer graves elsewhere. Okay? There is a need sometimes. There could be logistical reasons, there could be other reasons. It might not be suitable to have graves in a particular place. You know, in Toronto also you'll see there is a highway where you will see graves in the middle. Okay? There's just a few graves by a highway exit, I believe. Why? Because there was a graveyard over there once upon a time. But if there is a reason to build a road, to construct a road, and there is a graveyard in the way, and there is no other suitable place to construct a road, is it permissible to dig out those graves? Sometimes it's necessary. It's unavoidable. So likewise, can this be done for a masjid? Yes, it can be. وَمَا يُكْرَهُ مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ فِي الْقُبُورِ And also keeping in mind that it is disliked to pray salah where? فِي الْقُبُورِ where there are graves, meaning in a graveyard. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, لَا تَجْعَلُوا بُيُوتَكُمْ قُبُورًا Do not make your houses into graveyards. So that shows that praying in graveyards, praying where there are graves is not permissible. وَرَآ عُمَرُ And Umar عَنْهُ He saw Anas ibn Malikin, Anas bin Malik عَنْهُ يُصَلِّي He was praying salah in the qabrin, near a grave. فَقَالَ سَعُمَرَ عَنْهُ He said, القبر, القبر, There's a grave here. Why are you praying? وَلَمْ يَأْمُرْهُ But he did not order him بِالْإِعَادَةِ With repetition, meaning he didn't order him to repeat the prayer. So it is disliked to pray where there is a grave, but it's not invalid, you can say, because Umar did not command him to repeat the prayer. But remember that this happened accidentally, out of ignorance. Not that a person deliberately prays where there is a grave, in honor of the grave. حدثنا محمد بن المثنى قال حدثنا يحيى عن هشام قال أخبرني أبي عن عائشة أن أم حبيبة وأم سلمة both of them ذكرتا they both mentioned كنيسة a كنيسة what's a كنيسة a church رأيناها they had seen it بالحبشة in حبشة in Abyssinia when did they go to Abyssinia when they did the Hijra remember the first and second Hijra was to Abyssinia so they were one of those people who had migrated to Habasha. And over there they had seen a kanisa. Fiha in it were tasawir, images. Fadakarata, so they both mentioned it, Lin sallallahu alayhi wasallam, to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the kanisa and the tasawir in it. Fakala, so he replied, Inna ulaika, indeed those people, Ida kana fihimur rajulu salih, whenever there was a righteous man amongst them, Famata, then he died, Banau ala qabrihi masjidan. They built on his qabr a masjid. Wasawwaru fihi, and they drew in it, they painted in it, tilka suwar, these images. They would build a masjid on a grave, and in that masjid they would paint Images, pictures of that righteous person. فَأُولَٰئِكَ so those شِرَارُ الْخَلْقِ The most evil of creation. عِنْدَ اللَّهِ Near Allah يَوْمُ الْقِيَامَةِ On the day of. So it shows that building a masjid on a grave because of the grave to honor that grave is not permissible. Because this is what the Yahud and Nasara did and the Prophet ﷺ sent the curse of Allah upon them. Why? Because this is shirk. It turns into idol worship. And it leads other people to shirk as well. Because they think this is what the religion is about. Masajid are for who? 
وان المساجد لله فلا تدعوا مع الله احدا Masajid are only for Allah, meaning only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be worshipped over there. And if there are pictures of others, images of others, attention is being given to them, this is shirk, this is not permissible. What happened with the Ashab al-Kahf? What happened? That the people also said about them, لَنَتَّخِذَنَّ عَلَيْهِمْ masjida. We will make a masjid over here. Now, Shaykh Munir Thaymeen, he was asked about praying in a mosque in which there is a grave. Because whenever we think about a masjid and a grave, what comes to your mind? Shirk, yes. But which masjid, a very big masjid, has a grave in it? Medina. Masjid al-Nabawi. Here we learn that the Prophet ﷺ cursed the Yahud al-Nasara. And at the same time, his masjid has his grave in it. So is this contradiction? What's going on over here? Because some people... They say that, look, the Prophet ﷺ's grave is inside Masjid al-Nabawi. This means that it is permissible to bury righteous people in a masjid or to build a masjid on the grave or near a grave of a righteous person. And we see this very, very common in many Muslim countries. Many Muslim countries. I've seen with my own eyes. Places which are dedicated for salah, people come and pray over there, but there's also a grave. If you ever travel through Pakistan, okay, now you have a, a big motorway, so, you know, there are specific masajid, but before, when this was not there, proper masajid were not built around that area, you had to go to small villages, find a masjid and pray. And we used to travel a lot, and I have seen with my own eyes many, many masajid, they are built because of the grave. Very common. So it has led to shirk. So what about the grave of the Prophet ﷺ? How do we understand that? Shaykh Nusaymin, he was asked about praying in a mosque in which there is a grave. He said that praying in a mosque where there is a grave falls into two categories. Firstly, either the grave was there before the mosque and the mosque was built over the grave. Why? Because of the grave. What was the niyyah for building that mosque? Honor the grave. Honor the person who's in the grave. Seek help through him. Right? Please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through him. This is what? Shirk. Pure shirk. He said it is essential to shun this mosque and not pray over there. And the one who built it must knock it down. And if he does not do so, then the Muslim authorities must knock it down. Because shirk is being promoted basically. Secondly, or the mosque was there before the grave. The masjid was built and later somebody was buried over there. The deceased was buried after the mosque was built. In this case, the grave must be dug up and the remains taken out and buried with the people in the graveyard because it's not suitable to bury a person over there. So in this case, what will be done? The grave will be removed. As for praying in such a mosque, as for praying in such a mosque, which mosque? That was there before a person was buried over there. As for praying in such a mosque, it is permissible so long as the grave is not in front of the worshipper. Because the Prophet ﷺ forbade praying in the direction of the graves. And if it is not possible to move the grave, then it has to be seen. That is the qabr in the direction of the qibla. Okay, If it is in the direction of the qibla, then you don't pray. But if it's not in the direction of the qibla, then you can pray. Now with regard to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, which is incorporated into his mosque, 
it is well known that the mosque of the Prophet ﷺ was built before his death. The masjid was built when? Before his death. And the masjid was not built over his grave. The mosque was built before his death. The masjid was not built over his grave because of his grave. And it is also well known that the Prophet ﷺ was not buried in the mosque. Okay, when he was buried, he was not buried in the mosque. Rather, he was buried in his house, which was separate from the masjid at that time. So understand this. He was not buried in the masjid, and the masjid was not built on his grave. It's a different scenario completely. You cannot compare it with the two uh, categories mentioned earlier. Because the masjid was not built on his grave, and he was not buried in the masjid. Where was he buried? In his house. And later on, at the time of Walid bin Abdul Malik, when he was a Khalifa, he wrote to his governor in Medina. And at that time, Umar bin Abdul Aziz, he was a governor. So he instructed him, he ordered him to expand the masjid. How? By extending to the east. And that would mean adding the rooms of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ as well. So Umar bin Abdul Aziz, he gathered the prominent people and the fuqaha and he read the letter to them and they became very distressed and they said, leave it as it is, that is better. Meaning don't expand towards the east, don't include the houses of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ in the masjid because the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Bakr Umar all of these graves are there. So all of the fuqaha, they said, leave it, don't do this. It was narrated that Sa'id bin al-Musayyib, he denounced the incorporation of Aisha r.a's room into the mosque because he feared that this would lead to shirk. So Umar bin Abdul Aziz, he wrote a letter to that effect to al-Walid and he sent word to him ordering him to carry out his instructions anyway. So Umar bin Abdul Aziz basically had no choice. He was forced to do it. And as a result, the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, it became a part of the masjid. But we have to remember that even though it became part of the masjid, we have to realize that the grave was not placed in the mosque. Meaning when he was buried, he was not buried in the masjid. And that the masjid was not built over it. So it cannot be taken as a hujjah. It cannot be taken as a proof. This is an exceptional case. An exceptional situation. You understand? Is it clear? Because many people they say, oh, isn't this shirk? It's not shirk, because this is an exceptional situation. Just remember these two things. He was not buried in the masjid, and the masjid was not built on his grave. He was not buried in the masjid. He was buried where? In his house, which was separate from the masjid. Later on, because of the great need, the masjid had to be expanded. When it had to be expanded, automatically the houses of the Prophet ﷺ also became part of the masjid. And if that was not done, then think about it today, if people would go to the masjid, where would they pray? The masjid would be so small. Already you know that when you have to go towards that side, how long of a walk it is. And still you see that people are standing outside. So you do not pray in their direction. And the people, what they did later on was, that the way they built walls around the houses... It's like it's not in a triangular shape. So what you see right now is just a big rectangle. But remember that the graves are not straight. They built walls 
on different angles so that people would never really know which way the graves are originally. So even if people are standing there praying, it's quite possible that the grave is towards their left or towards their right. They don't know exactly where the graves are placed. So they made sure that shirk would be avoided to the best of their ability. And obviously it wouldn't be permissible to dig out the grave of the Prophet ﷺ at all. Okay, so this is an exceptional situation altogether. But any other person, that's a different story. Okay, you can say that it's an expansion of the masjid, but the rules of the masjid do apply. You know, when you enter the bab, you enter with your right foot in first and you make the dua. Let's continue. حدثنا مسدد قال حدثنا عبد الوارث عن أبي التياح عن أنس قال قدم النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم المدينة. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم came to Medina فنزل. So he descended where أعلى المدينة in the عوالي of مدينة. في حي in a clan meaning in an area that was lived by a clan يقال لهم who were called بنو عمر بن عوف بنو عمر بن عوف. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he arrived in Medina, this was at the time of Hijrah, he didn't come to Medina directly, rather he first stopped where? In the Awali of Medina. And he came to the area that was inhabited by a clan that was called Banu Amr ibn Awf. فَأَقَامَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ فِيهِمْ So the Prophet ﷺ stayed with them for 14 nights. ثُمَّ أَرْسَلَ Then he sent word to إِلَى بَنِ النَّجَّارِ to Banu An-Najjar. Faja'u, so they came, mutaqallidi suyuf, with their swords hanging around their necks. Mutaqallidi. From taqlid, muqallid, qalaid. Right? It is to wear a garland. So their swords were hanging around their necks. This is how they came. Who were these people, by the way? Banu An-Najjar. They were the maternal relatives of the Prophet ﷺ's grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. So the Prophet ﷺ's grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, his maternal relatives. So his relatives from his mother's side. Okay? It's a very distant relationship, but it is still a relationship through blood. So anyway, these were Banu Najjar. And they came with their swords. Why? To show their support and defense of the Prophet wasallam. Okay? Why? Because of the kinship between them. So this is how they came. كَأَنِّي أَنظُرُوا Anas says, It is as though I can see. I can look at إِلَى النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ عَلَى رَاحِلَتِهِ He was on his ride. وَأَبُوْ بَكْرٍ أَبُوْ بَكْرَ رَضِلَوْ عَنْهُ رِدْفُهُ Riding behind him. وَمَلَأُ بَنِي النَّجَّارِ And the mala' The crowd of Banu Najjar حَوْلَهُ Around him. Mala' over here gives the meaning of crowd. Not just the leaders, but the crowd. Meaning so many from Banu Najjar, they came hanging their swords. They're around the Prophet ﷺ. He was on his ride. Abu Bakr anhu behind him. And then they all proceeded towards Medina. So he didn't enter alone. Rather, he entered with his relatives. حَتَّى أَلْقَى Until he came to بِفِنَاءِ Abi Ayyub, The courtyard of Abu Ayyub Al-Ansari. anhu. وَكَانُوا يُحِبُّوا And the Prophet ﷺ used to love and يُصَلِّيَ That he should pray حَيْثُ أَدْرَكَتْهُ الصَّلَى Wherever he found the salah. Meaning wherever he was, if the time to pray entered, he would like to pray over there. Where you salli, and he would even pray fi marabid al-ghanam, in the sheepfolds. Meaning in places where sheep are kept. Meaning even if he was there, and the time for a particular prayer entered, then what would he do? He would pray over there. This was his habit. 
and he commanded Bibina il Masjid to construct a masjid. When he arrived over there, the time for prayer came in, he commanded the people to build a masjid. Why? So that a place would be dedicated for salah. فَأَرْسَلَ إِلَى مَلَئِ So he sent word to the mala. He called for the elders مِن بَنِي النَّجَّارِ of بَنِي النَّجَّارِ فَقَالَ So he said, يَا بَنِي النَّجَّارِ O بَنُو النَّجَّارِ سَامِنُونِي سَامِنُونِي Tell me the price. Meaning, sell this to me. Tell me the summon of what? بِحَائِطِكُمْ هَذَا Of this walled garden of yours. There was a walled garden nearby. So he pointed towards that and he said, tell me, how much would you sell this to me for? Qalu, they said, La, no, Wallahi, by Allah, La natlubu thamanahu illa ilallah. La natlubu, we do not ask for thamanahu, its payment, its price, illa ilallah, except to Allah. We will only give the invoice to who? Allah. We will only ask Him to pay us for this. We don't want anything from you. We don't want anything from any person. We only want reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You should write this statement for yourself. لا نطلب ثمنه إلا إلا الله When it's difficult for you to do something only for Allah, when it's difficult for you to lower your expectations from people, then remind yourself, I only want the reward from who? Allah. فقال أنس So Anas said, فكان فيه so there was in it, مَا أَقُولُ لَكُمْ What I'm telling you about, meaning that particular ha'it, that walled garden, there was in that walled garden, قُبُورُ الْمُشْرِكِينَ The graves of mushrikeen. وَفِيهِ And in it were also kharib, some ruins. وَفِيهِ نَخْلٌ And in it were also some date palms. فَأَمَرَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ So the Prophet ﷺ instructed, بِقُبُورِ الْمُشْرِكِينَ For the graves of the mushrikeen, فَنُبِشَتْ So they were excavated, they were dug out, meaning the remains were taken out and and buried elsewhere. Summa bil kharibi, then he instructed with regards to the ruins, fasuwiyat, so they were leveled. Broken walls, you know, things like that. So he instructed that all of this be leveled. Wabin nakhli and with the date palms, fakutia, that it should be cut off. Fasafun nakhla. So they arranged the date palms how? In a saf, in a row. Where? Qiblat al-Masjid. In the direction of the Qibla of the Masjid. Okay, so where the people were going to face in prayer, over there what happened? The date palms were all arranged in. So obviously this was only the trunks. وَجَعَلُوا And they made عِضَادَتَيْهِ It's two side walls. Ridada is basically used for what? Shoulders. Okay, and where are they? On the sides. So the side walls were made with what? Hijara, rocks. Wajarlu, and they were, yanquluna, they were carrying a sahra, rocks. Who? Who? The sahaba. To build the masjid, they were carrying the rocks, bringing them to build the side walls. Wahum yartajizun. And at that time, they were also reciting rhyming verses of poetry. Yartajizun. And the Prophet ﷺ was with them. I mean, he was also building the masjid with them. 
and he was saying, Allahumma o Allah, la khaira illa khairul akhirah. There is no good except the good of the hereafter. Faghfir lil ansari wal muhajirah. So forgive the ansar and the muhajirah. Many lessons over here. First of all, we see that the graves were dug up. Why? Because the masjid was to be constructed over there. And this is something that is permissible where there is no other suitable place to construct a masjid. Secondly, we see that the Prophet ﷺ and the companions together, they were building a masjid. The Prophet ﷺ could have just commanded them. And on that instruction also, he would get the reward. Why? Because the amir of khair is like fa'il of khair. The one who commands to do something good is like the one who has done it. But he also participated in the construction of the masjid. Then we also see that the first thing he did before is that when he came to Medina, what did he do? He built the masjid. Not his house, but the masjid. Because that is a place of unity. Typically what happens? That we are concerned about our own needs, material needs, before we are concerned about our spiritual needs. And we also see that the companions, the Prophet ﷺ, they were reciting verses of poetry while they were working. And this shows that it is permissible to hum, to sing something, as long as it is meaningful, as long as the words are appropriate, and they are words that will motivate you. Because some people, they go to the extreme of prohibiting all forms of singing, all forms of poetry. They go to this extreme. But this is not normal. And others go to the other extreme of permitting everything. There has to be a balance. What is that balance? That singing is permissible as long as it is not something that's done all the time. We don't see that the Prophet ﷺ and the companions were always singing verses of poetry or always reading poetry. No, it was not their habit. They would say, but on certain occasions. Like for example, at Eid. Okay, there were girls who were singing. This is permissible. Likewise, at a wedding. Again, this is permissible. But all the time, this is something that should be avoided. And remember that singing in itself is not haram, but when it becomes lahu, okay, when it becomes a big distraction for a person, when it involves sin, then it becomes haram. Whether it is anashid, islamiya, or something else, because in the name of Islamic anashid as well, a lot of sin is committed. That building a masjid in itself is something that brings happiness and joy to a person. You know, when you're setting up your room, you're setting up your office, you're setting up a place for yourself to study, you know, that brings joy to you. Now imagine you are building a masjid. Okay, you're taking part in setting up a place where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be worshipped. So this is a beautiful thing to do. And what did the Prophet ﷺ say over here? Hmm? He's making dua and he's also saying, Allahumma la khaira illa khair al-akhirah. What does this mean? That, oh Allah, there is no good except for the good of the akhirah. Which means that dunya has no khair in it. But we see that there is also khair in this dunya. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed khair in this world. But that khair, compared to the khair of the akhirah, is nothing. It's almost like nothing. Why? Because it is joined, it is attached with sharr. Every good of this world is joined with sharr. Isn't it so? Which is why 
Every day, every morning we ask Allah to give us the good of this day. Allah many asaluka khaira ma fi hadal yawm wa khaira ma qablaha wa khaira ma ba'dahu wa a'udhu bika min sharri ma fi hadal yawm wa sharri ma qablaha wa sharri ma ba'dahu. So every morning we ask Allah to give us the good of the day to protect us from the evil of the day. Good of the night, protect us from the evil of the night. So everything, when a person gets, when a man gets married, and when he meets his wife for the first time, he's supposed to make dua, right? That, oh Allah, I ask you for the good that is in her, and the good that she was made on. And I seek your protection from the evil that is in her, and the evil that she was made on. So every person has good and evil in it. And when something has good and bad combined together, then it's not kamil, it's not complete. You know, something would be really good. But the one thing that's bad in it, it ruins everything. Doesn't it? It ruins everything. Just recently, the famous iPhone, its uh, newest software, I believe, came. And people started updating their phones immediately. And you hear comments from everywhere. It's so good, but not good in this way. Hmm? It's amazing in this way, but it looks too comical or it looks too... You know, they have things to say about it which are not that positive. So this is a reality of the life of this world. Everything. So he's saying, Allahumma la khair illa khair al-akhirah. There is no good except the good of the akhirah. And that's what we seek. That's what we want. This dunya has bitterness in it. Right? A lot. In akhirah there is nothing evil. This is why Allah says that wal-akhiratu خَيْرٌ وَأَبْقَى It is much better and more lasting. The dunya has khair and shar in it. وَنَبْلُوكُمْ بِالْخَيْرِ وَالشَّرِّ فِتْنَةِ But the akhirah is free of any kind of shar. وَالْآخِرَةُ أَكْبَرُ دَرَجَاتٍ وَأَكْبَرُ تَفْضِيلًا That the Prophet ﷺ with all the you know authority that he entered Medina with and the respect that people had for him that imagine Banu Najjar are coming with him and they have their swords around their necks, ready to fight, ready to defend the Prophet ﷺ. Yet, the Prophet ﷺ didn't build a masjid on that land except after their permission. He didn't give an instruction, he didn't take a permission, he asked them for the price of that land so that he would purchase that land. But what do we think? If we have even a little bit of authority somewhere, that we execute every right of ours, every wish of ours rather, without any shura, without any consultation, without any permission. We misuse it. See, the Prophet ﷺ was coming as an immigrant. Okay, He was a muhajir. And a person was only protected at that time by who? By his blood relatives, by his clan. His clan, his tribe, had turned against him. The Quraysh had turned against the Prophet ﷺ, right? So much so that he couldn't live in Mecca anymore. So he was coming as someone without any protection. So this is the reason why Banu Najjar, they came to show that we are his blood relatives also. We are here for him. So nobody ever think that he is alone. Yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is his protector. But at the same time, for worldly reasons, just to show to people that this man is not alone, this is why Banu Najjar came to show their support for him. One more thing. The Prophet ﷺ, when he said, Allahumma la khayra illa khayrul akhirah, faghfir lil ansari wal muhajira. So forgive the ansar and the muhajira. Why do you think he's saying these words? What's the relevance of these words 
at this occasion when they're building the masjid. Both the muhajirin and the ansar, big sacrifice in this, okay? What else? Yes, an honor for them, okay, for the muhajirin and the ansar. But why is he saying, oh Allah, there is no good except for the good of the akhirah? Why is he saying that when they're building the masjid? Because, think about it. You think it was easy for the muhajirin to leave everything and come to Medina? Hmm? And for the ansar to welcome the muhajirin and then they had no idea what was going to happen in the future. So no matter how happy you are as someone new is coming into your life, you also have some fears. So when someone reminds you that this life is not perfect anyway, then it's easy for you to accept the situation. And if somebody is making dua for you, that may Allah forgive you, then that comforts you. And how he's saying that forgive the Ansar and the Muhajireen. Whose rank was higher, the Muhajireen or the Ansar? The Muhajireen. Because they did Hijrah and Nusrah. They helped the deen in a different way compared to the Ansar. And they also did Hijrah. But then why are they being mentioned after the Ansar? Shouldn't they be mentioned first? Because this is what we learned. That whoever is mentioned first is because of their greater rank. But the Ansar are mentioned first and then the Muhajirin. Why? So why are they mentioned second? It's just because of the rhyming ending. So that the verses of poetry would end in a similar way. Allahumma la khayra illa khayrul akhirah faghfir lil ansari wal muhajirah. This is just like in the Quran we know that the rank of Musa a.s. is greater than that of Harun a.s. Right? But we see that in Surah Taha Allah says what? فَأُلْقِيَ السَّحَرَةُ تُجَّدَ قَالُوا آمَنَّا بِرَبِّ هَارُونَ وَمُوسَى Bab as-salati fi marabid al-ghanam. Praying in sheepfolds. Marabid al-ghanam. What are they? Places where sheep are kept. Have you ever seen such a place? Been to such a place? No? Yes? What is over there? A lot of smell first of all. Why? Because of the sheep. Right? They will urinate over there. They will defecate over there. Even if you have one sheep standing in your backyard... Okay, what will happen? That place will smell and it will have things that you might not want to see. So is it permissible to pray in Marabid al-Ghanam? Given that it will definitely have urine, it will definitely have such things. Yes, it is permissible. Why? Because, what did we learn earlier? The urine and the defecation of halal animals is tahir. Okay? Sheep, goat, cow, a camel, any animal that you eat whose meat is halal, then these things are also tahir. حدثنا سليمان بن حرب قال حدثنا شعبة عن أبي التياح عن أنس قال كان نبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي في مرابد الغنم. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to pray in مرابد الغنم in sheepfolds. ثم سمعته. Then I heard him. بعد Afterwards, Yaqulu, he was saying that Kana Yusalli fi Marabid al Ghanam, he used to pray in Marabid al Ghanam, Qabla an Yubna al Masjid, before the Masjid was built. So, he would pray anywhere, like we learned earlier, anywhere, as long as that place was appropriate, even if it was Marabid al Ghanam. But after the Masjid was built, then what would he do? He would pray, he would go to the Masjid and pray over there. 
So it shows that if there is a need for a person to pray in a sheepfold, then it is permissible. And remember that if their urine was not tahid, then the Prophet ﷺ would not have prayed over there. Or he would have ordered that the place be cleaned first, and then he would pray. Because what happened when the Bedouin man came into the masjid and urinated? The Prophet ﷺ had the Sahaba pour water over it in order to clean. So human urine is not tahid, but the urine of these animals is tahid. باب الصلاة في مواضع الإبل Praying in camel yards So if praying in sheepfold is permissible Should it not be permissible to pray in camel yard? Because the urine of camels is also tahir hmm? What's the difference over here? One thing is مواضر. I translated it as camel yard Because that's a translation that I had in the document that I'm following However, it's not an appropriate translation Okay, so I want you to make a correction if you have that before you as well. Mawadir is what? Hmm? Mawadir is what? The place of wadar, the place where something is put. So it is a place where a camel is. And this could be anywhere. Okay, it could be where a camel is sitting, standing, resting on the road, in front of a house, in wasteland, near water by a lake, whatever, in the desert. It could be anywhere where a camel is. Camel, in particular. Because it's mawadir al-ibil. If it was mawadir of something else, then it would refer to that. Mawadir al-ibil is general. The question is, is it permissible to pray around a camel, near a camel? Hmm? If the word used was marabid, marabid, then it would refer to camel yard where camels are kept, where camels stay. And in these places we know from other references that praying salah over there is not permissible. Why? Not because that place is najis, that place is tahir, because camel urine is tahir, it is clean. But the reason is that the Prophet ﷺ said, فَإِنَّهَا خُلِقَتْ مِنَ الشَّيَاطِينَ That the camels are created from the shayateen, meaning their nature is similar to that of shayateen. And because of that shayateen, like them, and shayateen also reside in their folds. Okay, shayateen also live in their folds, where camels are kept. So because shayateen are there, this is why it is not appropriate to pray salah over there. But if there is a camel outside a camel yard, and you want to pray over there, can you pray when a camel is nearby? Yes, you can. There's no harm. Many places in this world you'll go to a beach and there are camels over there. Right? So can a person pray near it? Can a person pray under the shade of the camel? Yes, they can. Because we learned that the Prophet ﷺ would even pray while sitting on a camel, riding a camel, wouldn't he? He would. I mean, there's something about the camels. حَدَّثَنَا صَدَقَةُ بْنُ الْفَضْلِ قَالَ أَخْبَرُنَا سُلَيْمَانُ بْنُ حَيَّانَ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عُبَيْدُ اللَّهِ عَنْ نَافِعُ قَالَ رَأَيْتُ He said, I saw Ibn Umar, Ibn Umar رَضِي He was praying with his camel in front of him. وَقَالَ And he said, رَأَيْتُ النَّبِيَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمَ يَفْعُلُهُ And he said, I saw the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم doing that. Not that he was praying such that the camel was right before him, but he was in front. Because you know that as long as there is a distance of two places of sajda okay, before you, that is also appropriate as sutra. 
Like for example, if a person is praying and there's no sutra in front of them, and you pass before them, and there's a distance of two rows in front of them, you can pass. Okay? It is permissible. But not less than that. Either they should have a sutra, or there should be this much of a distance. So if there is a camel in front of a person, can he pray over there? Yes, he can. As long as the distance is reasonable, because then you are as if praying to the camel, and that's not permissible. Okay? So he said that I saw the Prophet ﷺ doing this. That he prayed near a camel. And we learned that the Prophet ﷺ also prayed while sitting on a camel. So it is permissible to pray in the mawadir of Al-Ibl, but not their residence areas. Okay? That's not permissible. Bab man salla wa quddamahu tanur. The one who prayed and in front of him, before him, is a tanur. What is tanur? An oven, which is used for baking bread, etc. And remember that tanur could be something which is dug in the ground or built on top of the ground. So can a person pray in the direction of a tanur? Aw narun or some fire? Aw shay'un mimma yu'badu? Or anything else which is worshipped besides Allah? Because people worship the fire. Right? There are some people who worship fire. So can you pray in the direction of a tanur? Can you pray in the direction of fire? Can you pray in the direction of something which people may worship? But فَأَرَادَ بِهِ The musalli, he intends to worship Allah. He doesn't intend to worship that fire. Is it permissible? Yes, it is. This question came up basically because of the statement of Muhammad ibn Sirin, rahimahullah, who disliked praying towards a nur and he said, "Huwa baytun nar." It is the house of fire. So when there is fire, and people worship fire, you shouldn't pray in that direction. But the thing is that if a person does not intend that object, then there is no harm, especially when that particular object is not being worshipped by someone. I mean, tanur. People who worship the fire don't worship a tanur. And they don't worship any fire. They worship a particular fire, right? Which they have in their worship places. Otherwise they would worship the stove and they would worship uh, heaters and they would worship every kind of fire, even matchstick, right? So they may regard fire as holy, but it's not necessary that they worship that particular the nur that happens to be in front of you or that particular bonfire that you have lit. So it is permissible to pray in that direction. But his intention is to pray to who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ وَقَالَ الزُّهْرِيُّ أَخْبَرَنِي أَنَسٌ قَالَ قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ He said that the Prophet وسلم, said عُرِضَتْ عَلَيَّ النَّارُ The fire was presented to me, meaning it was displayed before me, وَأَنَا أُصَلِّي While I was praying. He was praying salah and the fire of hell was shown to him. And if it was shown to him, what does that mean? That it was shown to him in front of him. Otherwise he would have looked towards his right or looked towards his left. The fact that he was facing forwards in salah, and that's what a musalli is required to do, that means that the fire was displayed before him. So the fire was in front of him. Yes, it was a fire of hell, but the fire was in front of him. So just like that, if a person is facing fire or any object that people worship, but his intention is not to worship that object, is it permissible to pray? Yes, it is. حدثنا عبد الله بن مسلمة عن مالك عن زيد بن أسلم عن عطاء بن يسار عن عبد الله بن عباس قال he said in خسفت الشمس the sun 
was eclipsed, meaning there was the eclipse of the sun. فَصَلَّى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ And the Prophet ﷺ, he prayed. ثُمَّ قَالَ Then he said, أُرِيتُ النَّارَ I was shown the fire. فَلَمْ أَرَ مَنْظَرًا And I have never seen a sight. كَالْيَوْمِ Like this day. قَطُّ Ever. أَفْضَرْ More horrendous. Meaning I have never seen any sight more horrendous than that. It was the most scariest thing that he ever saw. What? What? The glimpse of the hellfire that he was shown. So it is indirect evidence, okay, it shows that there could be fire in front of you and you are praying salah and it is permissible because you are not intending to pray to that fire. But remember that the scholars did consider it makruh. Okay, they did dislike it. Why? Why do you think so? Because you are going to be distracted. Okay, you are going to be distracted. Or it might cause other people to misassume, right? To misunderstand. Like for example, in many masajids, we see that there is a picture of the Kaaba in front. And many people, what do they think? Non-Muslims, what do they think? That we worship the Kaaba. And that's not true. But because we have its pictures everywhere, this is what they assume. And yes, it is our Qibla, that's also a reason why they may misunderstand. But if it's something else that may be in front of you, and you're praying in its direction, then people will misunderstand. I remember I was in Medina once, and a woman was praying salah, and she had a stone okay, that she would place in the place of her sajda. Hmm? But immediately, what do you think? That as if they are worshipping that, Stone. I tried asking her what it was about, but I couldn't understand because she couldn't speak English. But anyway, and I didn't understand her language. So anyway, it does seem like shirk. It does seem like a person is worshipping that object. You should not pray in the direction of those pictures. Then you ask them if they can let you pray in a place where there is no picture or something, or you leave early okay, so that you can pray. At an appropriate place, because inshallah we will learn that Umar anhu he did not go to a church. Why? Because there were tamathil over there. There were idols and pictures over there. I mean, some people have pictures of people whom they worship, and others have their own pictures. They're not necessarily worshipped, but they're there. So it's best that you're not facing it, and you should not face it because it will be a distraction for you, a big distraction. The Prophet ﷺ he got distracted by just designs. And he had it removed. So just like that, if there's something in front of you, then you should avoid it to the best of your ability. So go to the nearest masjid, pray over there, or leave early, or do something in order to pray in an appropriate place. Bab The undesirability of praying in graveyards. Meaning it is makruh to pray in graveyards. And some scholars insist that it is not just makruh, rather it is haram. It is said that Al-Ardu Kulluha Masjid. The earth in its entirety, all of it is masjid, meaning the entire earth is masjid. You can pray anywhere. Illa except al maqbara wal hammam. Except for the graveyard and the washroom. Meaning these two places you don't pray. Everywhere else you can pray. Haddathana Musaddadun Kala Haddathana Yahya and Ubaidullah Kala Akbarani Nafiun and Ibn Umara and in Nabi Sallallahu Ari Wasallam Akal Ijalu fi buyutikum min salatikum. Do some of your prayers in your houses. وَلَا قُبُورًا And do not make them into graves. Meaning, 
Make sure you perform some of your salah in your house because if you don't pray over there at all, then your house is like a graveyard. Why? Because a graveyard is a place where you're not supposed to pray. You understand? A graveyard is a place where you're not supposed to pray. So this means that other places besides the graveyard, you should pray. And also, if you think about it, who is in the graveyard? Dead people. And dead people, they do not pray. So when you go to your house, don't become like a dead person who doesn't pray over there. No, perform salah in your house as well. A house should not be like a rest house where you just check in and check out every morning and night. It should be a place where you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And your house should not be a place where you just go to sleep, meaning you just go and die, partial death. Rather, it should be a place where a living person is. What differentiates a living person from a dead person is what? Is salah, dhikrullah. Right? So, perform salah in your house. And notice he said, min salatikum. Ij'alu fi buyutikum min salatikum. Min is for tab'id, which means from your total prayer, allot some of it for the house. And which one is that for the men? All the nawafil. For the men, it is all the nawafil. Yes, sunnah as well. But all the nawafil, for the men, it is afdal to pray those nawafil where? In the house. Except for the Qiyam of Ramadan. Because the Prophet ﷺ performed the Qiyam of Ramadan in the masjid. But other than that, the Sunan, the Nawafil, they should be performed. Where? In the house. In the Hadith of Sahih Muslim, we learn, إِذَا قَضَى أَحَدُكُمُ الصَّلَاةَ فِي مَسْجِدِهِ فَلْيَجْعَلْ لِبَيْتِهِ نَصِيبًا مِنْ صَلَاتِهِ That when one of you has performed his prayer, then he should perform some of his prayer where? In his house. And this doesn't mean that a man should deliberately perform fard salah at home. We learned that when there is a reason to pray at home, he should pray at home. And when he is praying at home, then he should do so with the intention of making his house more full of life, basically. Also, one more thing that we learned from this. Women, obviously, they pray at home most of the time. And when you are praying at home, don't just pray in one place. Pray in every room including that guest room that is rarely ever used, including your living room where the television is on all the time. So sometimes turn the television off and pray salah over there, including that drawing room which is only open when guests come, including that basement which is never used. So every part of your house, make sure that you pray salah over there because otherwise it will be like a graveyard and you will feel like it is a graveyard when you go there. Isn't it so? Because the places of the house which are not used at all, what happens? You go there and you feel afraid. There's like a washa over there, just like it is in a graveyard. So what's the way of removing that washa? That you go and pray salah over there. The only thing I can recall at this time is the statement of Muawiyah who told the people to change their spots after their salah. But inshallah you can look up in a book of salah and hopefully inshallah you'll find something. But what I mean to say over here is that if you've prayed in one room, also pray in another room. I don't mean to say that if you prayed in one spot, then also pray in a different spot. Okay? Yes, try to do that because every spot on the earth where you have performed salah, inshallah, that will be a witness on the Day of Judgment in your favor. But also, every part of your house should be a place where you pray. 
Okay, inshallah we'll conclude over here. Subhanak Allahumma bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.